Thanks for joining us here at KVCR for KVC Arts, arts and entertainment, as well as the people and places providing it. I'm David Fleming. We're going to be discussing both the Summer Sunset Concert Series in Beaumont, as well as Affordable Music Productions, and the next doo-wop and rock and roll show up in just over two months. And with that, we welcome Nathan Gothels. Nathan, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, it's a pleasure, Dave. Great to talk to you. It's fantastic. You know, Nathan, I'm usually speaking with the people that you hired. Right. I feel a little awkward because I'm so used to hearing you do interviews. I feel like you're one of my best buddies. But to be able to call in and be speaking with you right now definitely feels a little bit off the mark. (laughs) I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I've been doing these interviews through you and for affordable music productions and these stellar concerts, mainly doo-wop and early soul and early rock and roll. But I've always wanted to get you and or your dad in. We're going to talk about the next Affordable Music Productions concert. That's coming up in September. But first, though, let's talk about the Summer Sunset Concert Series. Still two more shows for this series. In late August, we have Gina Harlan's Central Park Band, some Motown pop, rock, a bit of jazz. Then July 24th, though, you are on the bill. That is really cool. So let's first tackle what you are bringing to the stage. They're going to want me to do my usual repertoire when I'm on stage performing, which obviously based upon all of the things that have happened to us all as of late here, the live music industry has really suffered. Even myself, you know, I haven't been on stage to actually perform myself in a while. So I thought it was really interesting and really awesome that they still thought of me and reached out to me to actually perform. You know, obviously, Dave, as you know, I've been producing more than I've been performing for myself or producing myself. So Mm -hmm. it's a fresh thing here for me to be able to get back out there and just kind of feel at home for myself. You know, that's kind of where this all started for me, you know, before the producing and the promoting and all that. You know, I've always been a singer at heart, and that's where it all started for me. So it'll be a good time to get out there and do about an hour set of myself, and my father's going to come and open for me, which I thought was really neat. Of course, I've got the great Scott Wood, as we both know, who's going to come MC and do a little comedy. You know, it all started based upon the fact that I've known these folks for a really long time that are putting on the event, and they've seen me sing and perform over the years. I've performed with them at other events that they've put together out in that area. So, yeah, I was really humbled about the request, and I'm looking forward to it, man. I mean, I hope you can make it too, by the way. (laughs) I hope so too. I'm really, actually, at this point, I am planning on it. You mentioned your standard repertoire, although you had a much funnier way of saying it, but we do see Sinatra and Buble on the promotion flyer. What are some of the things that you'll be singing and maybe just some of the artists or some of your favorite tunes of this era, this type of music? Yeah, you know, my repertoire is what I love to do most is the big band era. You know, one of the people that I've always had at the top of my list throughout my life is, of course, Frank Sinatra. So I'll be doing a lot of his tunes, the popular stuff. You know, we're talking about My Way and New York, New York and those types of styles. And then, of course, as Michael Buble has come out in the more modern era, you know, he has become kind of the next Frank Sinatra style guy, you know, and his arrangements are just phenomenal. His big band arrangements, they just grasp me. So I'm going to do a lot of his stuff that he's put out and a lot of his new albums that he's put out there over the uh, last several years and kind of intertwine it with some Frank Sinatra stuff. You know, occasionally we get a little bit of a Dean Martin in there and we get Bobby Darren. So I just kind of stick in that realm. That's kind of been my favorite thing to do. I can sing a lot of country and do a lot of other things if need be. But when I'm putting on a show and I'm asked to do what I want to do, that's the direction I'm usually going is that style of music. Beautiful. When did singing start for you? And not just this type of music, but in general. I mean, whether it's chorus in grade school or you were the third teenager on the left in Bye Bye Birdie or something like that. How long has this been going for you personally? 
it's an interesting story. And if I'm going to be completely Please. honest with you, it'll be more interesting. But, you know, I've been singing since I was six, and it wasn't anything that was pressed on me. It's just that my entire family has just gotten involved in music just prior to me coming into this world here. So, you know, when you talk about my father, who I'm lucky to have open for me here for this coming show here on July 24th, you know, my father was the guy that really started getting me into the entire music scene in general. You know, he was a singer at church. Even my mother was a singer with him at church, you know, so my mom can sing, my dad can sing. I've got an older sister who lives in Texas, Lisa, who's got a phenomenal voice. She did all the choir stuff. She did all the stuff with school. She got involved. I never did. I was the guy that wanted to be, you know, in the sports and this and that and the the popular stuff. But I always had this little secret talent, you know, where I never really came out of my shell till I graduated high school, really, where I wasn't really out there performing in public or doing anything of that nature until I graduated high school. And then, of course, my father asked me to be a part of his vocal group. A man that was the lead singer of that group prior was moving away. So he asked me to do it. And of course, at that point in time, I'm 17, 18 years old. And I jumped right in there and boom. I mean, it wasn't really anything other than that. And we did a lot of shows for about 10 years straight before one of our other members passed away. And then, of course, that faded off. And me and my father have just kind of done our own thing. And we started producing and promoting. And, you know, as you've seen, that's kind of the direction it's gone since then. So, you know, I never really was big <laughs> in the music scene when wow. I was a young kid. The singing group that you mentioned a second ago, is that by chance Generations? Yeah, we were called the Generations Trio. As a matter of fact, I mean, the only proof of our existence, really, on a professional level, if you if you ever wanted to search on YouTube and you typed in the Generations Trio 2011 promo video, I know that's really, really long, but if you put that in there, you'd pull up about an 11-minute promo of us. When we were kind of at our high point where we were doing a lot of gigs and getting out there and doing things, that was an interesting time of my life, man. We did a lot of shows. You know, we were doing 30, 40 shows a year just on a local group. Oh, wow. I really, really got a really good hands-on experience that taught me something that I don't think you really can be taught. You know, you just have to experience it. And so I fell in love with it even all over again by doing that. And, yeah, every now and then you'll see me pop at a place locally here that's doing karaoke or something. <laughs> or maybe my dad's yeah. doing a gig somewhere locally, and I'll just pop in and sing some songs and People will get video, and <laughs> that's how you see it end up on the Internet. That's right. That's right. Well, let me see. We may have addressed this, or we sort of brushed kind of around it. But, you know, one, I was having a hard time. I didn't want to just say crooners as far as the type of music that you'll be bringing because it goes beyond the crooner type of thing, although Sinatra, the Buble, the, I don't know, Tony Bennett, let's say the Rat sure. Packy kind of guys. You know, they're not all just crooners, but they were pop without going into the sweet band kind of stuff. You're right. They have that pop swing type of combination. But what really grabs me, they also had this in their repertoire when you talk about the crooners of the world and that particular genre of music. There was a jazzy yes. big band style that really grasped to me. And if you go back and you listen to some of those records, you'll hear that jazzy, it's almost a swaggery style that comes in that they mix this swing with, this pop with, that really grabs me. And that's really where it started off with me. It almost is like one of those types of styles where the entertainer, the guy that's singing, actually is singing not in front of a band, but moving and going with his band. And the way that he articulates and the way that he presents the song is actually based upon how well that band is delivering those notes and that beat behind him. So it's really interesting how I gravitated to that, but that's kind of my internal sense of what that means to me. That's really cool. That's a nice way of phrasing that and hearing about it. I think about Sinatra singing something like Summer Winds. 
But then Mm -hmm. with what you were just discussing, that's very much like, that's life, where it's just a statement. And then there's some vamping behind that. Right. And that music that's behind him or following that phrase, that's life, or even on the summer wind, just what he says, the summer wind, bop. You know what I mean? Then you hear that band, boom come right in there right after that like it's answering him like they're communicating together you know throughout the song and it's really really what interested me in that style and that's kind of where i fell into myself into my own little realm there and i've just never left it behind since so with this type of music is this something that you found a voice for because of enjoying it and wanting to sing it or the other way around that is to say your voice is so well suited to this type of performance that that's what you ended up doing No, you know, I found it because, you know, like I was telling you before, you know, growing up with my dad and learning from him, I was always around the type of music that you see me produce all the time over these years, you know. So all of these 50s, 60s, 70s, doo-wop, rock and roll, soul type stuff, that was what I was originally influenced with. And I'd never really went to the crooner side. My dad does sing crooner stuff. There's no doubt about it. But I was heavily influenced in a different genre or a different style of music. But then I would just end up seeing or catching a song here or there or seeing Frank. And then, of course, later on, Michael Buble come out and do their thing. And I gravitated to it. I just gravitated to it because I believe it's just an entirely different presentation from the singer, from the entertainer, as well as the instrumentation behind you than really any other style, especially in that particular era where you really didn't have huge big bands backing you unless you were in that swingy, jazzy, poppy, big band genre. You know, as you know, I'll do a doo-wop show or I'll do a rock and roll show where most producers and promoters won't have a huge big band behind those because the, you know, the original recordings weren't really done that way. But I like to produce it that way. I like to create that mix of my own little love of that style behind even the other influences that I had prior to even picking up on the genres that I love now. Beautiful. I'm David Fleming in conversation with Nathan Gothels performing at the Summer Sunset Concert Series Saturday, July 24th at the Donna Franco Garden, Noble Creek Community Center, BCV Parks, as in Beaumont, Cherry Valley, or BCV Parks Foundation on Facebook and Instagram for details. Now, Nathan, let's switch over to the world of doo-wop and affordable music productions. I'll start by saying that you and I are very much in the same, not the same boat, that sounds like a punishment kind of thing, but because of my mom's At The Hop records, and I've told this to many of the folks that I've interviewed, I knew names like Danny and the Juniors and the Drifters and the Coasters and whatnot long before folks more akin to my age range, like Led Zeppelin or Queen or something like that. I was, I knew the oldies first, so... It's a really cool, it was actually a really refreshing sort of treat for me to be able to start doing these productions. And I have to say, Dave, too, because, you know, we've known each other long enough here now, and I think you've done pretty much every show in some capacity over the last four or five years. I mean, you do a fantastic job, and the artists tell me this, not just because I listen and I hear and I believe that personally, but the artists tell me this. They come and they take the time to actually tell me, man, that David Fleming, man, that guy knows his stuff, man. He's a fantastic interviewer. He really engages well. And so you're a talented man, man. You give yourself some credit because, you know, when these types of artists are coming to me and they're taking the moment of time to be able to express those feelings 
you know, it's not like that every day. You know what I mean? When you're dealing with the business and you're setting things up and interviews and advertising and marketing and this and this and that, you know, these guys are used to doing this stuff a lot. So for them to be able to isolate you and give you that moment and tell me that as we're trying to handle business and put on a show, I think that says a lot about your talent and what you bring to the table here. And like you said, too. You learn this from your mother. You kind of were influenced by your mother in a sense. And, of course, I was with my father. Otherwise, again, we would be rocking queen all day. You know, yeah, that's, right. <laughs> so, that's right. So it's really good for the generations to pass that type of influence down. And I'm hoping that I can do that with my kids and really have them learn what I believe and I'm sure you believe is the best era of music that exists or ever will exist between, I would say, the 50s and the 70s. It's just I don't think you can beat it. No, you can't. It was an evolution of several things and the birth of several things all at the same time. And let's talk 100%. about affordable music productions for a second. Now, sure. looking at the dates, bringing concerts to the region, going back 30 years now. If you could talk yeah. about the history of the company, 3D's Productions, when it started? 3D's Productions was my dad's vocal group at the time that, of course, I later joined. It was a gentleman named Dan and Denny. My dad's name is Don, so hence... 3D's Productions, right? Nice. You know, as they were starting to get involved with the music scene, my dad just ended up running into the right people. Guys like David Somerville, mm. you know, the original lead singer of the Diamonds. Guys like Jim Pike, uh, right. original member and co-founder of the Letterman. And as we became friends with these people, he became encouraged and wanting to produce them. Bruce Bellin of the Four Preps, oh, another yes. one, lead singer of the Four Preps. So those three pretty much are the main three people that my dad ended up running into, just getting involved in the music scene and doing karaoke shows and stuff like that. He's been doing karaoke shows around the area for 30 years. So that kind of spawned 3D's Productions. They put on a couple of shows, obviously, at that time, as you can see on our website and such, and got some experience under their belt. And then, of course, I'm little old Nathan here as a young boy <laughs> following along and watching my dad and just seeing every step of the way and kind of just being there on his hip as he was going through and doing these things. And it just kind of gravitated, you know, I, I just kind of learned a lot. So affordable music productions kind of went to the wayside for a while in that span between when 3D's productions broke up off of the fact that they moved away and moved on to other things. And once our vocal group broke up while I was with it and we didn't really have any main thing flowing, we sat together at lunch, believe it or not, looked across the table from each other and said, well, what the heck, let's do this. <laughs> okay. And here we are today. <laughs> for the first several years, it was pretty much one show per year. For most years, there were a couple of four- to five-year breaks. But then in 2014, we started getting two to three shows per year. So right. is this time looking across the table, you guys talking, what changed to let you know that you could – you were confident at that point, or, or maybe just hoping, hoping to God, that you could sell out nearly or nearly sell out a venue so often, two to three times a year for this. That's a heck of a question, loaded question. Obviously, you got to be willing to take risk because you never know, obviously. And the, the whole goal and the whole objective, obviously, if you're producing and promoting shows, is to be able to sell enough tickets to pay for your costs and your artists and everything else that goes along with that. So it's a gamble, in essence. As we yeah. started biting off more shows, you know, we're obviously biting off more risk. And the only reason why we did that is because we saw an opportunity. We gave it a try. It worked to an extent. We didn't sell out our first show. We didn't even make money on our first show. But we fell in love with doing that together, you know, and we felt that that was just kind of what we needed to do. So we committed to it. We did lose, but we still had fun. We still enjoyed it. We still made a lot of great relationships. So we felt the future was bright, you know, and so we just had to go after it and make or break it. And that's kind of where we sat there and said, you know what, no more one show. Let's go two. Let's go three. 
Let's do as much as we can take on and let the chips fall where they fall. And so far, so good. <laughs> it's been phenomenal. I've been, I feel lucky to have been able to, one, not only speak to the majority of the artists that you've brought through mm, since late 2015. I've right. spoken to most of them now, but then more often than not, I've been able to come to the shows and actually meet these folks. So that's been a treat. And again, I feel fortunate. And I know that the audience, the fans that come to these shows, they feel fortunate as well because you always make sure that there's a meet and greet opportunity. And of course, this is an opportunity for the bands to sell their wares and whatnot. Let's talk about now the show coming up September 25th. This is an incredible lineup, which we'll address in a second, if you would. But let's first talk about the fact that this was the show for spring of last year and then later last year and then in Valentine's of this year. Yeah, what a ride, Dave. Um, I mean, again, then this is nothing that anybody has got any experience with, right? right? So it's one of those things where you're just flying by the seat of your pants. And so when the pandemic first started, you know, we thought, okay, it was originally a June 6, 2020, if I remember correctly off the top of my head. And of course, you know, we all know what was going on at that time now as we look back. And at that time, you know, you don't know. I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is an important note, too. I've never had to reschedule a show before. Yeah, ever. Yes. Uh, prior to that, I've always been able to keep the date and keep the commitment. And I take pride in that. If I'm charging somebody for something, I'm going to come through with what I say. I'm just one of those types of people. So, you know, when people come to my shows, they know they're going to get exactly what they paid for. But so, you know, obviously, we moved it a couple of months ahead. I think we moved it to August of 2020 from that point, just kind of thinking, oh, you know, we're going to solve this problem. We're going to be able to move on, you know, yeah. and it's obviously, as we all know now, as that time started to move along and we keep on having to bump it forward and bump it forward. And of course, it disappoints people, you know, it disappoints a lot of people that originally bought tickets when I launched the show yeah. <laughs> at the yeah. end of 19 is where we're at with that. You know, that's how much time has gone by. So, you know, when people buy tickets and they're expected to hang on to them and continue to reschedule their calendar and, and do those types of things, you know, I feel for those people. I understand that. And then, of course, there's the people that can't make the date. And there's the reasons why I do have to refund people. And there's the reasons why I don't, but they want refunds. And I've got to get into that type of conversation. So this has been really hard, Dave. I have to be honest with you. This has been really hard. And September 25th is going to be the first show that I've been able to produce live since November of 2019. And obviously, when you go through this type of thing for so long, you're still kind of like, okay, well, what's going to happen next? You know, and in this COVID situation, we all are still kind of on the edge of our seat wondering, well, what's going to happen next? Obviously, over the last month or two, it's a lot of positive things have happened in that respect where things are opening up and people are getting back to work. But look at the effect. I mean, not only do we not hear much of it, but I want to say, I mean, the live entertainment business has been severely, severely affected by this thing. I mean, you have to imagine the artists having to sit at home and not make a living, the venues being empty and not being able to create revenue to pay for themselves, keeping people out of work, not being able to bring people into work at those venues. And then, of course, people like me who were trying to build a business as promoter and producer that have been just basically said, no, I mean, not in any capacity. I mean, you have to think about other businesses where, yeah, you can go, but you got to limit your capacity or you got to wear a mask. You got to do these sorts of things. Zero, zero for our business. You know, so it's been really, really, really tough to keep this thing going through all of these reschedules and all these reschedules. But the artists have stuck by. I mean, I'm lucky enough to be able to keep the show intact with all the same artists, which is pretty amazing. And I don't think there's been any more anticipation and excitement in my production and promotion career than this one, man. I'm really looking forward to getting it back out there and seeing the people again and seeing their faces when these people are performing live with them. It is going to be such a huge sigh of relief. 
even up until opening day, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the new strain, et cetera, et cetera. You had to have been having daily meetings, brainstorming about all kinds of what if and if then type scenarios. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for every unknown, you've got to have three counters. You know, you have to figure out, you know, if it goes like this, then we got to do this. And if it goes like this, then we got to do this. And if you're doing, I mean, yes, you're right. We had to do that on pretty much a daily basis for a long period of time, you know, when this thing was really hot, you know, COVID. And it's stressful. It's stressful because you don't want to hurt anybody. You don't want to see people sad, mad, angry, losing money. I mean, you don't want to see any of those things happen. And Pretty much all of those things were happening during that time, and it's a really tough time. I mean, it takes you away from what the core purpose of the business was in the first place, and that was to produce and promote concerts and make people happy and put on great shows. So, yeah, it was definitely a change of direction there for a long period of time, and I'm pretty optimistic. I'm very positive about how things are going at this point, and I think that the worst is behind us, and I'm going to stay optimistic until somebody or something proves me different. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I was optimistic for each one, but then I was like, oh, well, yeah. just sort of hoping. and just. But now, September the 25th, this is a good date. There's been nothing but improvement for the most part as far as numbers. When this whole thing started, man, I was every day seeing and reporting increasing numbers of sickness and death and other things associated with COVID-19, and now we're seeing improvement type of numbers and fewer deaths and fewer hospitalizations. So it really, it's trending in the right direction. And knock on wood, this continues, and we get to see this great, great lineup September 25th. Lucky to get all the ones that you originally had scheduled for June of last year. Yeah, so far so good. That's all dialed in, and we're going to start the show off with our great Scott Wood there, our comedian MC, who's done a handful of shows for me here because uh, everybody loves him, and I love him, and we're going to start the show off with him getting things rolling for us. And, of course, we got the great Kathy Young of The Innocents, who I've done several shows with. They love her, so that's why she keeps coming back. (laughs) She's provided one of my uh, favorite stories, by the way, over the years of all these interviews. There are several others, by the way, but Kathy Young provided me with one of the funnest behind the scenes kind of stories that I've been fortunate to witness so far. So You try to imagine being that young oh my God. and coming out with a national number one hit like that, you know, a thousand stars. I mean, even to this day, I mean, it, isn't that just an incredible song? I mean, even it's now, still. you know what I mean? And so she just gets up on stage and as soon as she does it, man, I mean, everybody just goes right back to that time period in their lives if they were there. Or there could be somebody like me, which I'm not that old. Yeah, yep. <laughs> so I relate to that song every single time I hear it. That's what makes me reminisce on how great this era of music was. Because you hear that song, you hear the words, and it's just got so much more talent behind it, in my opinion, of course than a lot of the stuff that you'll see coming out in today's trending market, so to speak. So Kathy does a fantastic job. She looks great. She takes great care of herself. She sounds great. And so they love her, you know, and we're going to bring her out. We've got Leon Hughes' coasters. So yes. Leon Hughes has got a great story behind him. I'm hoping that you'll be able to, I think you've interviewed Leon, haven't you? You'll be able to replay that, I believe. Right? I have, yes. It's And that, again, was a really cool story. He's the last surviving member of the original lineup of the coasters. Right. So this is, right. a, it's a real treat. He has information that nobody else has. 100%. He's seen things and knows things about the coasters that you would only know if you were Leon Hughes. Yep. And they have a really cool show. You know, they do it all just like the original group had it put together, and that's really authentic. So they'll do a set there for us. And then we got the tokens, of course, Jay Siegel's tokens. Yes. And you and I both know the dynamic there, right, between the tokens and Jay Siegel. And because you've been with me, I believe, when I did the Margos format of the tokens. And so now we've got Jay Siegel, who was the original lead singer of the tokens, joining us here this time around to kind of give us a different 
feel of mm-hmm. the same group, right? With the yep. lead singer that has that wonderful and unique falsetto voice, and he's still rocking and rolling. He can still hit those notes. So we said, you know what? We need to get him out here. <laughs> yep. And let's say that we've been able to do that. So I'm looking forward to that because I haven't worked with him before, and I don't think you've had a chance to interview him either. So I'm no, really, really looking forward to that one. Oh, yes. We've got the Dukes of Doo-Wop, who are a fantastic local doo-wop group here that come out and fill some time in for us and give us that Brooklyn street corner feel type of thing. So they'll do a lot of good acapella, five-part harmony songs, which you know everybody enjoys that. It's fantastic. We've got the Flamingos, my headliners, my beloved Flamingos, with Terry Johnson, his original Flamingo member. Terry Buzz Johnson, they called him, right? Mm-hmm. And his lovely wife, Teresa, who's involved with the set as well. I've done the Flamingos before. I think you've had a chance to talk to Terry before. Yeah. But their show, man, their live show is just so high impact, so so good that I just can't give enough of it. So this time I want them to headline the show and I want them to close it out for me. And so I'm really looking forward to it. Beautiful. And so on the 25th, it's not just once. There's actually a couple of opportunities, whether or not you're a night owl for folks here. Exactly. The exact reason why we do that is, you know, we've got a 3.30 show and an 8 o'clock show. So, you know, it just depends. And, you know, some people like to go to the show first, then go to dinner. And some people like to go to the dinner first, then go to the show afterwards. So it just depends, like you said, if you're a night owl or if you're an afternoon person. But one way or another, we want you to be accommodated. So these guys are actually going to do their full show twice in one day. <laughs> it's fantastic. And you got to hand it to them for being able to have the stamina to do something like that. It's a grueling, grueling day. If you saw behind the scenes, you'd see how grueling it is, but they're willing to do that for us. And of course, 3.30 and 8 o'clock are a good separation for us to get them both in and everybody be able to enjoy themselves and have some time afterwards before the next show hits. Nathan, let's wrap this way. I'd like to hear just one of the most profoundly cool things that you've learned since being a part of bringing so many living legends to the region. And this could be something really esoteric, okay? Or maybe even more broadly accessible to the fans and patrons. I'll tell you, you know, that's a great question, and I probably wouldn't have been able to give you the answer until you finished asking it. But, you know, what I've learned the most and what's really intrigued me the most in doing this is, you know, these artists, like, when you're not doing what I'm doing, when you're not in my seat, and you know these artists, or you look at these artists, or you listen to their records, you see them on TV, you know, whatever the case, you go to their live concerts, you see this entertainer, this professional, you know, and they deliver that part of themselves so well that you almost look at that person as that person that you're seeing on stage or that you're hearing on the records or on TV. And so for me, I've gotten to know these people off the stage. You know, I've gotten to talk to these people when the lights aren't on, so to speak, you know, when the mics are off, that kind of thing. And they're real people. They're real people with the real struggles of everybody else's life. They understand us, their fans, a lot more than you think. And the more talent that these people have, or the more success, so to speak, that these people have had, it's because they have a more deep, deep desire to deliver what you're seeing and to intrigue you to that sense. There's so much more to these people than what you're seeing. And I would say that the most intriguing thing to me is being able to sit down in normal clothes, you know, no makeup, no wardrobe, and no performing, and have a bite to eat with these guys, and then spend some time with them, and really get to learn who they really are when they're not on stage. And I think that that's such a unique and humbling experience that not many people get to experience. I'm lucky enough to have been able to do it, but it helps you really learn a lot more about the business and understanding what these people really have to go through and what they have to do to bring you what they bring you. And it is not easy. (laughs) It is not easy by any stretch of the word. So I gain a lot more respect for them and I gain a lot more interest in trying to bring successful shows for them. I'm more enamored by them just because of what I've been able to experience in that sense. So 
that would be the answer to my question. <laughs> You can catch some of these incredible performers Saturday, September 25th with Legends of Doo-Wop and Rock and Roll Volume 3. See the full lineup at affordablemusicproductions.com on Facebook as well. Thanks again to Nathan Gothels and here at KVCR, thanks to Lillian Vasquez, Rick Dulock, and Sharina Wad. Many past shows can be found through iTunes, Spotify, and NPR One. And most past shows are at kvcrnews.org slash arts. I'm David Fleming. Thanks especially to you for listening and for your support.